Turn with me this morning to Psalm chapter 19. I'm going to look at two verses here in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. As we do that, would you uh, stand with me as we read those words together? Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, your word is good. Your word is power. Your word brings life to our bones. We thank you that we have the ability to hear you speak this morning. And God, we pray that you would do just that. Write your word on our hearts. Holy Spirit, in the life of every believer here, burn your word into our hearts. Implant your word into our hearts and bring it out at just the right moments in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you that you desire a relationship with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you today on New Year's Day. Uh, many of you either stayed up late watching football, I know, or uh, shooting fireworks or something like that. So I appreciate you being here and not in the bed this morning. It's good to see you. We will come back to Psalm chapter 19 in a few minute, minutes, but I want to share with you one other verse that I want to lay a foundation for with for us this morning. Galatians chapter 5 in verse 25 says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I hope that you are planning to read through God's Word with us as a church this year. Just by way of uh, just kind of lifting your hand. How many of you have gotten a one-year chronological Bible or are planning to get one? Amen. All over the place. If you haven't gotten one of those, we'll have those again this next week. And uh, we would encourage you to get involved in that. Listen, the power of God will be unleashed through His people, through His church, when we devote ourselves to His Word. I believe that with all of my heart. And so I encourage you to, to do that. Many of you have probably already started that journey this morning in uh, January 1 in your chronological Bible. I know I started in my quiet time this morning. It doesn't take very long to do that, 15, 20 minutes, and you can read through the day's reading and then spend some time in prayer I'm excited about that for this next year. And the reason that I'm excited is because Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, teaches us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We live by the Holy Spirit, and I believe that the Spirit has a plan for us as a church and as individuals in 2023. The Spirit wants to do big things at Enon Baptist Church, and it is essential that we keep in step with the Spirit. Does that make sense? That's what Galatians 5.25 says. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to know this morning very clearly, the Spirit has a plan. God does not do things by random. And so just the fact that you have been pricked in your heart to, to start the one-year chronological Bible with us as a church, you wouldn't have chosen to do that unless the Holy Spirit led you to do that. The Holy Spirit has a plan for you in 2023 and so we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit knows what is coming down the road. 
Wouldn't it have been good if the Holy Spirit would have told us that in 2020, what was coming down the road? It had been nice. Listen, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what is coming down the road, and at the same time, He knows your struggles intimately. He knows. He is living inside of you. He knows your struggles intimately, and He knows the will of God perfectly. And so we will keep in step with Him. He has a plan. He has an agenda. He wants to unleash His power in us and through us. He wants to unleash His power. Galatians 5.25 teaches us that we live by the Spirit. Let me explain to you more fully what that means. Let me take you on a short journey through uh, Scripture. You don't have to turn to these places. Just listen. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, it says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. God is creating all of the world. And in that moment, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word for spirit there in that verse is the Hebrew word ruach. Throughout the Old Testament, that word is used for wind or breath or spirit. It's like the, the breath within someone. When the breath is gone, there's no spirit there anymore. Does that make sense? When our breath is gone, our spirit has left our body. And so it is that word, ruach. In the verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it is the ruach Elohim. It is the spirit of God, the wind of God. And then in chapter 2, in verse 7, you see God creating man. He gathers the dust of the earth, he forms man, and then he stoops down low and he breathes into man the breath of life, and man becomes a living being. You see intimacy in that picture when God stoops down low to breathe into man. God doesn't do that with, the other, with, with animals. God does that only with man. The life of God is in man in a way that it is not in the rest of creation. And so I want you to see that this, clearly this morning. Man is created from dust and the breath of God. Man is created from dust and wind, dust and breath. But then very quickly, in chapter 3 of Genesis, man falls into sin. And sin brings the curse of God on creation, and specifically for man, this is the curse. From chapter 3, it says this, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now remember, man was created from dust and wind, dust and breath. But in the curse, God says, for dust you are and dust you shall return. When man sinned, the Spirit of God was taken out of man. Does that make sense? That's what happened when man sinned. The Spirit of God was removed. We were alive, but the wind was gone. We were lost and powerless. And throughout the Old Testament, we see a lack of God's presence and a lack of God's power in the lives of people. Now, we see His presence and His power on a grand scale in the Old Testament. We see Him do some miraculous things. We see Him work on behalf of His people. And we see Him work in the lives of certain individuals. But on the whole, in the lives of the vast majority of His people, there was no power to actually live out His commands. In the first five books of the Old Testament, God lays out His law for His people, and they express the desire over and over to obey that law, but the reality was they continually failed to obey God. Now, you'll see that as you begin to walk through Scripture in the next few weeks and months. In the Old Testament, they expressed desire to obey, but there was no power to obey. But 
all throughout the story, there's also another vein there where God begins to promise over and over that he's going to send a Savior. And the hero would one day come and he would bring the wind back with him. And you see prophecies that relate to that. In Isaiah chapter 61, it's a messianic prophecy where Isaiah is saying there's a Messiah that's going to come. And when he comes, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be on him. 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah made that prophecy. And then Jesus steps into a place called Nazareth one day, sits down in the synagogue, he's, he's sitting in the synagogue, he stands up, grabs the scroll, opens it to Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads these words The Spirit of the the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He reads the rest of that passage, rolls the scroll back up, sits down and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The hero comes and he brings the spirit of God back with him. He brings the Ruach Elohim back with him. And there are other Old Testament prophecies and prophets that tell about how God's spirit was going to come. Ezekiel and Joel are two specifically. But even when you get to the New Testament, you see John the Baptist saying the same thing. He said about Jesus, he's the one that, he, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he's coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, God's plan of redemption for you and for me was not just that our sins would be forgiven. God's plan of redemption was that Jesus would come and die and rise again from the grave to bring us back into relationship with the Father so that the Father could take His Spirit and put it on the inside of us. That's God's plan of redemption. Listen, God's plan of redemption, the gospel, Jesus dying for your sins, is not just a get-out-of-hell-free ticket. That's not what this is. What this is, is God saying, look, I have a plan for you, and your plan is not just to miss hell and go to heaven. My plan for you is that my spirit would be alive in you, and my spirit would work through you, and my power would be seen in your life. Listen, the wind of God is accessible to us. He came to bring us into intimate relationship with God so that we could live by God's power every single day. Even as Jesus headed to the cross in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, he begins to tell his disciples, look, I'm about to leave, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is coming, and when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, he will never leave you. He will lead you into all truth. He will be not just living with you, but he will live in you, he tells them in John chapter 14. John chapter 16, he says, it's to your benefit that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Can you imagine that? They've walked with Jesus for three years. They've seen all kinds of miracles. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, it's going to be better for you if I go away. And they, they probably didn't understand that in those days. But the reality was, it was better because the same Spirit that enabled Jesus to do those miracles is now going to be inside His disciples. And you see God's power in the lives of people. And it's not just random people. It's not just a few people here or there. God pours His Spirit out on all believers in the New Testament. Isn't that good? The Ruach Elohim has come back to our lives. And so now we have power to live and obey the Word of God. There, listen to me. There is infinite power in our bones. And it is not from us. God has put His Spirit on the inside of us. The Word that you hold in your hands, listen to me, the Word that you hold in your hands is part of the key to accessing that power. And that's the reason we want to look at what the Word does this morning. 
We want to see what the Word does in our life because, listen, we have access to the Spirit, but what we have to learn how to do is to position ourselves to harness the wind of the Spirit. Does that make sense? We have to be able to position ourselves to do that. In 1914, Sir Ernest Henry Shackleton set sail for the Antarctic. His goal was to, to traverse the entire continent, but before they could set out on their mission, their ship was entrapped by ice. The ship was lost, but they were able to make it to a small, desolate island, but they were in need of a rescue. Their plan was for a few men to get into a lifeboat and try to make it 800 miles to the nearest shipping lanes where they might signal to another ship and get someone to help rescue them. They rode with all their strength and they were only able to travel at two miles per hour. There was no hope until they reached what is known as Drake Passage. The mixture of atmospheric pressures around the Antarctic creates an area with gale force winds that blow constantly. The U.S. Navy's instruction manual for that area of the world says that winds can even increase up to 150 to 200 miles per hour. As Shackleton's crew entered Drake Passage, they hoisted their sails and they harnessed the wind and they accelerated forward at such an incredible, incredible pace that they were able to reach their destination within a matter of days. What they could never have accomplished in their own strength became a reality because they hoisted their sails and harnessed the wind. Now listen closely to me. The wind of the Holy Spirit is accessible to you. The wind of the Holy Spirit is accessible to us as a church. But we've got to know how to hoist our sails and harness the wind. Does that make sense? That's where this book comes in. That's where this book comes in. So now look back at Psalm 19. Notice first of all in these verses the author of the word. Four times in these verses David, he's the author of this uh, psalm, David refers to the author of the word. He says this in verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. Now as we approach God's word daily in 2023, the foundation that must undergird everything about our understanding of this word is that, listen, this is actually God's word. That undergirds every single day when we sit to study this word. That is the, the foundation of what we have to come to this with. If this is going to make a difference in our lives, we have to understand and realize and contemplate, okay, this is God's word. This is not what someone else said. This is not what somebody else on TV thinks. This is the holy God's word. I want you to, to, to think about that. Let that sink in. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Do you ever open this word and just tremble at it? I'll just be honest with you. Most of the time when I open this word, I don't tremble at it. But if we thought the God who created everything is speaking to me right now, we would tremble at this word. Listen, he says, those are the ones that I'm going to place my favor on. The ones who take this word seriously. The ones who, who know who the author is. The ones who consider that this is supernatural. This is not something man could have produced on their own. This is breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. 
Do we open that book and we think, oh my goodness, this is, this is God's Word. This is, there's power here. Do we think, whatever this Word says, whatever it says, I'm going to do it. Does that thought cross our minds? Whatever this Word says trumps anything else I think or feel. Do we tremble at it that much? Imagine this morning, if you were standing before God and you knew that He was about to speak to you, what would you do? Would that change the way that you, you listen to Him? If you're standing in His presence, would you, would you think, I better listen? Would you think, I, I, I better lay down everything else and obey what He's telling me to do? Of course you would. Reminds me of the scene of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where he goes into the temple and all of a sudden he sees the Holy One sitting on the throne. And the train of his robe fills the temple and smoke, the glory of his, of his, of his uh, train of his robe fills the temple and the smoke comes out. and He is overwhelmed and in that instant, Isaiah's response is to hit the floor. And he's laying face down on the floor and he thinks, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. There he is. There he is. I'm, I'm sinful. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm going to die. I'm ruined. And in an instant, an angel comes to him. And he touches his lips with a burning coal. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And they're atoned for. And then he hears God say these words. Who shall we send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah's response immediately is, here am I, send me. Now, I, I, I wonder, what in the world would you think if the Scripture said that Isaiah did that, said that, and then he walked out and he did his own thing, he said, eh, I don't think I'm going to do that. You would think Isaiah was crazy. Well, why would we take this word, came from the same mouth, and not obey it? Listen, that's the reality of it. It's just as if we are standing before God, hearing His Word. Will we obey it? Will we tremble at it? Listen, you've got to consider who God is. Here, here's a couple of things. First of all, the, He is the God of infinite power. Why don't you look back at Psalm 19, look in verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Now they're going to put an image on the screens for you. This is an image captured by NASA's newest space telescope. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. It was launched on Christmas Day 2021, and it has six times the light-gathering capability of the Hubble Space Telescope. This is one of the first images that they received back from the James Webb Telescope. Now in that image, those are not stars. Those are galaxies. Those are galaxies. So let that sink in. Those are galaxies. And this is one pinpoint in the universe. This is not a whole panoramic of the sky. This is one angle of the universe. So you can multiply that by 360 degrees in every direction. And that's the universe we're living in. According to what we were able to discern, scientists were able to discern from the Hubble Space Telescopes, they thought that there were around 170 billion galaxies. Well, now with the James Webb Space Telescope, that number has skyrocketed up to 
the trillions, some people think there are between 6 and 20 trillion galaxies in our universe. Let me put that into perspective for you. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. One of those galaxies. From one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side, if you were to travel at the speed of light, which is humanly impossible, if you were to travel at the speed of light for 100,000 years, you would make it from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy. That is one galaxy. And there are trillions of galaxies in the universe. Listen to me. The God who spoke your Bible into existence breathed all that into existence as well. The God of infinite power is speaking to us every day if we will just listen. If we will just get into His Word. The author of your Bible created galaxies. The God of infinite power spoke to us. Are you kidding me? He didn't have to do that. We didn't deserve that. The galaxy breather wrote this book. Let that thought start your daily Bible reading time. The author of this book is the God of infinite power. But, but don't miss this second part. He's also the God of intimate relationship. Just the fact that he spoke to us shows us that he wants us to know him, right? Just the fact that he spoke to us shows us that he wants us to know him. From the first pages of scripture, we see him create man in his own image. We see him get close enough to man in the first page of scripture to breathe into his nostrils. And yes, the, the fall messed that relationship up, but that's the whole message of the Bible. God wants to restore the relationship. And even though we messed it up, God sent His Son, His one and only Son, to reconcile us to Himself. Listen to me this morning. If you feel like God is distant from you, listen to what His Word says. If you are brokenhearted, Psalm 34 says the Lord, Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you are lonely, He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you are anxious, He says, cast all your cares on Him for He cares for you. That's the God that we get to read His Word. He cares for us. He wants relationship. It's evident all over the pages of Scripture that God desires relationship. Think about these people. He calls individual after individual into his story. Several chapters, several generations after Adam sinned, the entire world, the Bible tells us, all of their thoughts were nothing but evil all day long. That's what the Bible says. And God called a man named Noah out of that world so that he could continue the story through him. God called, many years later, God called a man named Abram. And he made a promise to Abram that he would bless him and make his descendants great. And they would be his own special people. And that through them, all peoples on the planet would be blessed. Why did he do that? Because he desires relationship with us. God sent Moses as a deliverer because he desires relationship with his creation. God called called sinners like Rahab into his family line. God called little shepherd boys like David into his family. He called people, individuals, to know him, to be part of his plan, to be part of his story. Listen, this is a book all about the God of relationship. Yes, he's the God of infinite power, but he's also the God who draws us into infinite relationship, who says to us, draw close to me and I will draw close to you. He wants us to know Him. Micah 6, 8 says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
That's what God wants from you. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to walk through the supermarket with Him. He wants you to walk to Little League ball practice with Him. He wants you to walk... Listen, He wants you to walk in your house with Him. He wants you to walk every single day with Him. He wants you to know Him. He's made Himself accessible to us. Even in the New Testament, it opens up with this ultimate picture of God becoming man. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the God of infinite power, but He's also the God of intimate relationship. As we read His Word daily, it is essential that we remember who it is who authored this Word to us. He wants us to know Him. This is the message of Scripture. Think about this. Eternal life is not just living forever. You realize that? John 17, 3, Jesus said this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. God wants us to know Him. So dive into His Word. But also notice the character of the Word. Look back at verses 7 and 8. Perfect, sure, right, and pure. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen, there is no instruction in this book that will ever lead you to make a bad decision. Not one instruction will lead you to make a poor decision in life. It is perfect in every circumstance. It is perfect in every precept. It cannot even be compared to our thoughts. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Do you want to know, do you not want to know what I think? No, you don't want to know what I think. You want to know what God thinks. My thoughts are not very high at all. God's thoughts transcend ours on every subject. The law of the Lord is perfect. Verse 7 again, the testimony of the Lord is sure. You can count on God's word. It will not change. If God says something is going to come to pass, it is going to come to pass. If the God of all power, the God of all knowledge, and the God who is good through and through says something, you can build your life on it. His word is sure. It is a solid rock from which you can weather the storms of life. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right. All of God's promises are sure and all of his principles are right. If you want to know how to handle money, God will teach you how to be a good steward and to be a generous giver. If you want to know how to raise children, God is a good father. If you want to know how to, how to be the best employee, even when you have a difficult boss to work for, God says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. All of God's ways are right. When the world says to hold on to what you have, God says, give it up and you'll have treasure in heaven. When the world says to live life to the full, God says, no, you'll find life to the full in me because I bring abundant life. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. God is never going to deceive you. God is never going to deceive you. Not one word in Scripture was written to deceive you. Not one thing is written to deceive you. Every single word is written for your benefit. The commandment of the Lord is pure. You can trust it. It is perfect. You can gain insight in every circumstance. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It will not change with the winds of culture. The statutes of the Lord are right. You can live by them. And here's the third. The effect of the word. The effect of the word. Look back in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Here we go. The word of God... First of all, transforms our souls. 
As you spend time in this book, here's what's going to happen. Days are going to turn into weeks, and weeks are going to turn into months, and months are going to turn into years, and somewhere down the road, you will find that you're becoming an entirely new person. You'll, you'll find that God is making you into an entirely new creation. Now, I want you to think about, for a moment, how that happens. Listen to me. There are principles all in this book, and they are good guides for life. There are commands all in this book, and they will not lead you astray. But the principles and the commands in this book will not transform your heart. Don't you let that sink in. The way our hearts are transformed, our souls are transformed, is not by the principles and the commandments we find in this book. The thing that transforms our souls, cue in here, the thing that transforms our souls is the good news of this book. Let that sink in. The thing that transforms our souls is not the principles we find in this book. The thing that transforms our souls is the good news of this book. You see, here's what you'll find. If you set out to obey all of the principles in this book, you will become weary. Because you're not capable of doing that. You don't have the power and the strength and the endurance and the tenacity to do that. You may be okay for a little while, but you don't have the power to obey everything in this book. I promise you, you do not. And you will become weary. But that's the good news of this book. This book is not just a book of Christian principles for you to live by. You see, the problem of our souls is not a behavior problem. It's not. I know we have some behavior problems. I do, and you most likely do as well. The problem of our souls, though, is a heart problem. The problem of our souls is not a behavior problem. Behavior modification will never change our hearts. Adding more religious activities will never change our hearts. Listen, you can come to church every time the doors are open and your heart stay cold toward God. Changing our behavior, stopping certain behaviors or starting other behaviors will never change our hearts. If all we see in this book is a list of spiritual do's and don'ts, then we will actually grow to resent God more instead of love God more. Changing our behavior never changes our hearts because the only thing that changes our hearts is to see the love of God in Christ. That's the only thing that changes our hearts. Think about it this way. Can you command someone to love you? Teenage guys, that'd be great, wouldn't it? If you could command somebody to love you. It, but it just doesn't work that way, right? Because love is a response. Love is a response. And so if we're going to love God, we can't obey ourselves into it. We can't behave ourselves into it. Listen, reading God's Word is a great thing, but it's not how we gain God's favor. The truth is we have His favor in Christ already. We have been given His favor as a free gift, not because of anything we've done. Listen, when we see that in Scripture, that's what changes our hearts. When we know the God of Scripture, that He loves us and He gave His Son for us, and the, He rose His Son back to life so that we could have hope for eternity, and we see His Spirit coming on the inside of us, and we see that all that was done because He's good, not because we are. He did it in spite of who we are. When we see that God and His love for us, here's what happens. When we hear about that, the Holy Spirit blows His wind into our lives and brings us to life. That's the transforming power of the Word. 
It's not because you spend 15 to 20 minutes, an hour, a day in this Word. That's not going to transform you. What's going to transform you is when you see how much God loves you in Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, yes. Yes. And He begins to blow into your life. And He's going to bring you to life. And listen, it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for 30 or 40 years. That's still how we grow in our love for Christ. We can't grow in our love for Christ by obeying Scripture better. It doesn't work that way. We obey Scripture better because we love Christ more. The Holy Spirit over and over and over shows us God's love for us and our need for a Savior. That's the power of the book. That's the reason we get into the book. It's because this book is great at showing us how helpless we are without Him. That's the power of this book. It transforms our souls. Number two, it makes us wise. Verse 7 again says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Here's what the Holy Spirit will do for you and for me. As we see God's love for us, our love for God will naturally grow. As our love for Him grows, our desire to obey Him grows. And as our desire to obey Him grows, our desire for His Word grows. And as we begin to get into His Word, day in and day out, here's what the Holy Spirit has planned for you this year. As we get into His Word, day in and day out, the Holy Spirit will take nuggets of God's Word and He will implant them in the core of who you are. The Holy Spirit will take this Word and He will begin to put peace after peace after peace into the storehouses of your heart. And in the right moment, He will bring the right Word or the right action or the right thought to your mind. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit works. He pours this Word continually into our hearts. But listen, if you're not in this Word, it's not going to happen. If you're not in this Word, you were not giving anything to the Holy Spirit to work with. We have to be in the Word. John chapter 14, verse 26 says that the, the Holy Spirit, God said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come and He will remind you of everything that I've taught you. But do you know what is the principle that undergirds that? You have to know what Jesus taught us. You have to know the Word. And when we know the Word, then in the moment, the Holy Spirit will begin to do things, will begin to remind us of things. Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever picked, been pricked by the Holy Spirit that you needed to do something? I had this happen a few weeks ago. And I rarely have any kind of dreams. You can ask my wife and kids. They're sitting in here. By the way, my in-laws are here today, so y'all can meet them afterwards. i got the best in-laws in the world. Uh, and I would say that whether they're here or not, I promise. But I don't have dreams a whole lot at all. And I definitely don't know that I have Holy Spirit-led dreams a whole lot. But a few weeks ago, I think I had one of these dreams where the Holy Spirit was telling me to do something because... A little over a year ago in real life, a friend of mine and his wife left our church before we moved here, left our church, and this was someone I had poured into, and they never said a word, and it really bothered me. Truthfully, if I'll just be real honest with you, it created some bitterness in my heart toward them. And I didn't call them because it made me mad. It hurt me. And so I just let that fester. I let it go. Really wasn't thinking about it a whole lot, but there was bitterness there. And just a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit, I had a dream. And this guy who I'd poured into, who had left our church, was in my dream. And I saw him, and we talked a little bit. At the end of the conversation, he turned to go away. And the Holy Spirit, in my dream, pricked me. And he said, you need to make it right. And in that moment, I woke up instantly. 
And the verse popped into my mind, quench not the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, it's 2 a.m. I'm not going to call him right now, but I'll call him as soon as we get up. And I called him. You know what happened? He said, I'm so glad you called. I was afraid to tell you. I was afraid. The Holy Spirit knew that I needed to make that right. It would never have been made right at all unless I listened to the Holy Spirit because he was afraid to call me and I was too mad to do it. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you need to make it right. I hadn't done anything wrong other than get bitter about it. The Holy Spirit said, you're the one who needs to do that. And I said, yes. Here's what happens. When we put God's word into our life, it may be a dream, it may be a circumstance, it may just be a feeling that you get, maybe a conversation where God gives you the right word, but the Holy Spirit will bring the word of God to your mind if you will be faithful to put the word of God into your mind. Amen? The Holy Spirit wants to do that. He is our guide for life. But he uses the word of God to lead us. Number three, it realigns our worship. The word realigns our worship. Look in verse eight. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Every one of our hearts is wired for worship. You cannot turn worship off in your heart. You cannot stop yourself from worshiping something. But the trouble is that our hearts are sinful. And so we run after every other thing but the one thing that we were created for worshiping. We are great worshipers. The quality of our worship is not what's in question. But the object of our worship constantly needs readjusting. Jesus said this about the people in his day, about their worship. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And if I'm honest with you, most of the time... The language of my life pretty consistently matches what I profess to believe. And I hope most of the time the behavior of my life pretty consistently matches what I profess to believe. But if I'm just real honest, sometimes my heart is cold toward God. You say, well, why is that? Well, I've pinpointed why that is, I believe. My heart grows cold toward God when I am not consistently spending time in the Word. Because here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. When our worship gets misdirected and then we spend time in the Word, He says, no, back over here. He says, no, you forgot who God is. You forgot who your Maker is. You forgot who you find satisfaction in. And He redirects our lives. Listen, I forget who God is. I forget what God has done. I forget what life is really all about. And I substitute all kinds of things in place of where God is supposed to be in my life. I substitute crazy stuff like my kids' sports. You ever do that? You put athletics where God should be sometimes? Sometimes I put my family there. Sometimes I put golf there. Some, some of you, it may be your career or that vacation you're planning. Listen, I am going to focus on something. I'm going to focus on something. So that's why it's imperative that I stay in the Word. That's why I need the Word. He realigns, realigns our worship. Last thing. The Word opens our eyes. Look in verse 8 again. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit consistently opens our eyes to bigger realities. If you're like me, you tend to get distracted by a lot of different things in your life. The circumstances, the busyness of your life tends to distract you. I'm like that every single day. 
the busyness of my life gets in the way and whatever's right in front of me, the next task, the next meeting, the next event, it causes me to forget bigger realities like eternity or the souls of people around me or the kingdom of God or the fact that Jesus is coming back or the fact that that judgment is coming. But listen, as we spend time in the Word, the Holy Spirit keeps focusing our eyes on those bigger realities. In the mid-1400s, an invention came about that revolutionized the world. Around the year 1450, Johann Gutenberg invented the first movable type printing press. And in 1456, he printed his first Bible. In the next 44 years... Over 40,000 copies of God's Word had been printed in Europe. Up until then, copies of God's Word were very rare. And they were all written in Latin up until that point. The Roman Catholic Church officials were basically the only ones who had control of the Scriptures. They had access to the Scriptures and no one else. The people didn't have access uh, to a copy of God's Word, but even if they did, they couldn't read Latin. And so they were relegated to listening to what the priest would tell them was in God's Word. And so the priest would stand each week and he would proclaim, this is what God's Word says. This is what God's Word says. This is what it says. The priest held great power because they could make the Word of God say whatever they wanted it to say. And they got to the point where they were doing crazy things like selling things called indulgences. Where if people would buy these certificates, then they could have their sins forgiven. That's how far off they had gotten. And so in the 1500s, though, guys like Martin Luther and William Tyndale began to write the Bible in the common languages of the day. Martin Luther in 1522 wrote, uh, uh, translated the New Testament into German. In 1525, William Tyndale translated the whole Bible into English. And so these editions began to, to be published all over Europe. And what happened was the Word of God got into the hands of the people of God and the whole landscape of Christianity changed. All of the corruption in the Catholic Church at that point came to light because people began to read God's Word and they began to say, that's not what the Bible says. They began to say, that priest is not telling us the truth. This is what God's Word says. And Like a lightning bolt, the power of God went through the church and changed the whole landscape because the people of God got into the Word of God and the power of God was released to change things. Listen, there is power in this Word. It is time for you and I to hoist ourselves into the wind of the Spirit and allow Him to do what only He can do in our lives. Listen to me, the Holy Spirit can do more in five minutes than we can do in 20 years. But we have to be skilled at hoisting ourselves into the wind of the Spirit. We've got to get in to the Word. Listen, isn't that good? It's as simple as it is. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to go to seminary. If you want to go to seminary, go to seminary. But you don't have to go to seminary to understand this Word. When you read this word each and every day, the Holy Spirit, the author, sits down with you. He wants you to understand this word. It is not hidden from you. It is accessible. And he wants to blow his spirit across the pages of Scripture into your life. All we've got to do is open the book and read it and pray. Here's what that looks like. Every single day, it looks like us opening this book and saying to God, God, would you just show me who you are? 
And then the next day, we open it again and we say, God, would you show me who you are? And then we read a little more. And then the next day, we open it again and we say, God, would you just show me who you are? And what he's going to do is he's going to show you who he is, but he's also going to show you who you are in him. And day after day, we just get back into the word. What happens if you miss a day? Pick it up the next day. God's still there. He's still waiting on us. He's not sitting there waiting to punish us because we missed a day. What if you miss a, a few days? Listen, God still wants to be known. Pick it up and go again. Pick it up and go again. What if you get to the end of this year and you haven't read all the way through and you missed some days? So what? If you're reading the Word on a somewhat consistent basis, hopefully day after day and week after week, if you're reading the Word, it is going to have its effect on you. You don't have to be perfect in it, but we've got to do it. We've got to, just like they hoisted their sails, we've got to hoist our sails into the wind of the Spirit. And allow him to do what only he can do in our lives. I'll close with this. Some of you may not even know Jesus Christ. And so you don't have his spirit living on the inside of you. But I'll tell you, just like Peter said on the day of Pentecost. If you will repent and turn to Jesus Christ, you can give, have the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. And when you read, study, sit down to study God's word, it will come to life. I promise you, if you want to step into that relationship, the word says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, hearing comes by faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins because God loves you, and he's got a plan for you. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you wouldn't have to go to hell, and so that you could have a relationship with the Father. If you'll believe that he died and rose from the dead and give him control of your life, the Bible says instantly the Holy Spirit of God will be placed in your life and you'll become a new creation. That's accessible to you today. And if that's you, you don't have a relationship with Christ, I encourage you. I'm going to ask our guys to come and lead us in a time of invitation. If that's you, I encourage you. Some of our ministers will be down here. I'll be down here. We would love to be able to lead you to know who Jesus is on a personal basis. Would you stand with us this morning?